so excited to be here tonight, continuing our series on questions, questions. And tonight we are looking at why did you doubt? So these are all questions Jesus asked tonight. Why did you doubt? But first, I want to revisit this story that Emma's just read to us. Because I know that my mental image of it is a bit squiffy compared to the text itself. So I'm going to ask you tonight, what picture comes to mind when you think about Jesus walking on the water? Maybe it looks something like this. Sunny day, happy disciples, lovely day for a stroll on the water, a kind of like spiritual water skiing maybe. Um, uh -uh, wrong. <laughs> Let me paint a different picture for you. Because that is nothing like what it says here. What I want you to do tonight is to imagine that you are one of Jesus' disciples. So, just before this happens, you've seen Jesus turn a little boy's packed lunch into a feast for 5,000 people. And whilst he's finishing up with the crowd, he says to you, go on, it's all right, lads, I'll finish here. We're going to be meeting people on the other side of the lake tomorrow. So you guys take the boat across, and I'll see you on the other side. I'll see you later. And you're like, well, hang on, Jesus. There's only one boat. So that's going to be a long walk all the way around the lake for you. But fair enough. I mean, we'll see you later on. It's late afternoon, maybe early evening, and you get into the boat. And you cast off. And you row. And you row, and you row, but you're pushing against a headwind. It's strong, and it's trying to blow you back to where you've come from. And where there's wind, there are waves. They're crashing over the side of the boat, pitching it up and down. And you're cold, and you're wet, and it's dark. And that supernatural fish finger sandwich that Jesus drummed up earlier feels like a long time ago. By four in the morning... You're not even halfway across the lake. A lake you know really well that you've crossed many times before. Then suddenly, out of nowhere, someone or something is gliding across the lake towards you. Quick info point here to help you get into the mind of a first century disciple. They believed, their belief was that Water was where evil spirits lived and they would come up out of the water. So you're thinking if you're seeing somebody coming across the water to you, that's an evil spirit coming to get you. I'd like to ask you, what would your reaction be? I think personally, I would have pooped my pants. You are, it says they're absolutely terrified. But then the thing speaks in a voice that you think you recognize. It's okay. It's me. Don't be afraid. How do you react? The storm hasn't stopped. The wind and the waves are still going. I'll tell you what I don't think I would have done. I don't think I would have done what Peter did. Peter leans over the side of the boat and says, Jesus, if it's really you, call me out onto the water to come to you. And what does Jesus say? Come. What are you thinking 
as you watch Peter climb out over the side of the boat. One leg, two legs, stepping out. And suddenly, he's doing it. Peter, this guy that you know, this hothead, impulsive, salt-of-the-earth fisherman, is defying the laws of physics, walking on water. What? <laughs> it's one thing for Jesus to be doing it. You've seen Jesus do incredible things. But Peter? You know what? I think Peter does pretty well here. The rest of the disciples, they're still on the boat. He is on the water with Jesus. Peter in the Bible represents the disciples at their best and their worst. He's so often the first one in, the blunderer. But then two weeks ago, Emily Berry, when she was preaching, was telling us that he's the one who will later, two chapters later in Matthew, recognize Jesus for who he is. Jesus says to him, or to the, all the disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Wow. Peter, the rock. But here, he sinks like a stone. As Peter sinks, He's scared. Yeah, he's just been walking on water, but he's a fisherman. He knows water. He's seen waves. He knows what water can do. Jesus, waves. Jesus, waves. Jesus, waves. Waves one, Jesus nil. And Peter goes, Lord, save me. And what does Jesus do? Tell you what he doesn't do. Peter, you bad, silly, naughty disciple, you swim back to that boat, you get out again and you do it properly. No. He reaches out to him. He catches him and he says, faint heart, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? What happened? How do you think that Jesus said that to Peter? Was he angry and disappointed? Was he tender and gentle? It's not clear in the text, but I don't think it's either. I think he says it almost with like a kind of wry smile. Because he knows that Peter could have done it. In Matthew 17, he'll tell the disciples that with the tiniest bit of faith, they can move mountains. And what do you think happened Next, we know that they both climbed into the boat. But how did they get from where they were on the lake to the boat? I think they maybe walked back together. Peter, a bit soggy, a bit sorry for himself, feeling a bit silly. And as soon as they climb into the boat, the wind stops. The waves die down. And the disciples have that kind of coin drop moment where they're like, Jesus, you're the son of God. They have no other way to explain what he's just done. What does this story tell us about how to follow Jesus? 
Number one, doubt is normal. It is a normal part of being a follower of Jesus. Jesus' closest friends and disciples experienced doubts, the ones who knew him the best. I find this so encouraging. Jude 22 says, have mercy on those who doubt. And Jude later on goes on to call God, he who is able to keep you from stumbling. I love that. Doubt is normal. In this moment, the disciples see Jesus walk on water. They see him calm the storm and they say, oh my goodness, you're the son of God. They worship him. They see him for who he is. But the Greek word used here for doubt only appears twice in the Bible. Here, in this story, and then at the end of Matthew's gospel, in what's known as the Great Commission, Jesus' last instructions to his disciples. This is the final time they see Jesus. The 11 disciples who've walked with him for years, seen him do extraordinary things, seen him die and come back to life, And it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Even now, even though they've seen him die and come back to life, some of them doubt. If the disciples doubted, is it any wonder that we sometimes doubt too, you and I? Doubt is normal. But. There is an antidote. What is the opposite of doubt? It's faith. Faith counters doubt. J.C. Ryle said that while we do not despise little faith, we must not sit down content with it. Our prayer must ever be, Lord, increase our faith. If Peter only kept his eyes fixed on Jesus, he would have been fine. The word used for doubt here doesn't so much mean an intellectual, thinky kind of uncertainty. It's more like being in two minds or an unsureness. We have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Faith is a gift from God. Faith counters doubt. Have faith. That's point two. Point three, how can we grow our faith? Encounter. Encounter increases faith. The disciples encounter Jesus. They see what he does and that increases their faith. It doesn't mean they get it right every time, but increasingly as they spend time with Jesus, they start to get it. Their faith grows. They start to do some of the things they see Jesus doing. Why do you think Peter had the audacity to say to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, call me out onto the water? Because he followed Jesus. He walked in his slipstream seen the things he'd done. How can we encounter Jesus? Through his word, through prayer, through his church, through his people. And when Jesus left the disciples, he said he would send the Holy Spirit to be with them, to be with us, to give us faith. We need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need to do that for the first time tonight, or the 50th time maybe, encounter always increases faith. And fourthly, 
what is the right response to encounter? It's worship. We've seen it already in the text. As these disciples encounter Jesus and see him for who he truly is, their response is to worship him. That's why we worship together when we meet. Yes, to build one another up in faith, but also because we are a people who have encountered God. We've seen something of who he is. We know what he's done in our lives. And the only right response to that encounter is worship. Worship, encounter invites worship. And encounter demands worship. Doubt is normal. Faith beats doubt. Encounter increases faith. Worship is our response to encounter. We've got all of our theological ducks in a row. What happens next? You've got to get out of the boat. We, ha- we can have it all sorted in our heads. But there's a point at which the rubber has to hit the road. Push comes to shove. And we have to, one of those Peter moments. Kind of waves or Jesus. Waves or Jesus. Waves or Jesus. And we have to choose Jesus. We have to choose to fix our eyes on him. In that great commission we were talking about earlier, it says, Some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Therefore, go. We can think of our doubt as an intellectual, cerebral, theoretical problem, but it impacts on our everyday doing and being, living life, living for Jesus. Be more like Peter. Recognize Jesus. Ask him what it is he wants you to do and get out of the boat. Go. Quick health warning. If Peter had successfully made it across the water to Jesus, do you think that Jesus would have said to him, Well done, Peter, you pass the test, you get your spiritual scout badge of walking on water. You can now walk on water whenever you want, or other fluids, it's fine. Um, No, that's not what happens. It is Jesus who makes the impossible possible. But the impossible is only possible with him. That's what he does on the cross for us. He makes the impossible possible. Because of our sin, we can't know Jesus. We can't be close to the Father. But through Jesus' death, he makes that possible. We sink when we lose sight of Jesus. We sink when we lose sight of the cross. But even when the waves look too big, if Jesus says, come, we have no reason to be afraid. Get out of the boat. As your faith grows, you've got to go. What boat is Jesus asking you to maybe get out of tonight? What water is he asking you to walk on? Where is he saying to you, don't look at the waves, look at me, it's going to be okay. Fix your eyes on me. Maybe that's a conversation with your family. Maybe that's a conversation at work tomorrow when somebody's like, oh, what did you do with your Sunday? What did you do with your weekend? Maybe it's something bigger than that. Maybe it's to do with a relationship. Maybe it's to, it could be anything. 
Maybe it's something that he's asking you to do in terms of setting something up, like a business or a charity, or could be anything. What is God calling you to get out of the boat to do? Maybe it's as simple as coming forward for prayer tonight. And as I've been speaking, you're thinking, oh my goodness, I need that. I need some element of that tonight to meet Jesus for the first time, to receive more of the Spirit. Get out of the boat. It takes just that little bit of faith. We would love to stand with you as you do that tonight. One more thing to say, and then we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and meet with us and do whatever it is he wants to do. You are not defined by your doubts. I don't know whether you ever did that exercise at primary school as a kid, uh, where you were asked to go away and find out what your first name means. Spoiler, mine is pretty lame. Thomas, that's my full name, Thomas Alexander Graham Barber, uh, means one of a twin. So I'm not a twin, or at least I'm not as far as I know. That'd be a weird shock. Um, or one who doubts. Why? Because it came into use in the English language because of the disciple Thomas in the Bible. This is from John 20, after Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, got no idea why, please don't start calling me Didymus, uh, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so when he returned back from the dead. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord, we've seen Jesus. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger into his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, come here doesn't say that in the text, but I think that's what he did. Uh, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. I think it's a bit unfair that Thomas has become doubting Thomas. Actually, we think that Thomas went on to plant the first churches in India before being martyred for his faith. Peter, who stank, stank, sank like a stone, becomes the rock on which the church is built. I'm sure they both still had their moments of doubt, but they did, and we are called to do, like them, extraordinary things with God. Jesus said we would do even greater things than him. Would you stand with me? We're just going to pray in a moment. When my heart grows faint, when I'm troubled, when I'm looking at the waves and when they just look too big, this is a scripture that I find super helpful from Isaiah 40. It says this, and maybe if you um, want to receive this, just hold your hands out in front of you. It's not magic, but it's just a way of saying, God, we love you. We want to know more of you. Come, Holy Spirit. It says this. Do you not know or have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. 
He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men and women, just like us, stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What a promise that is. Father God, we thank you that we are not defined by our doubt, but that you call us to faith. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, we welcome you.